Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 and 12 this morning. But we're going to read again from verse 1 to verse 12 to remind ourselves of the context. The title of the message this morning will be Submission to God, Your Own Heart. Submission to God, Your Own Heart. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this precious time that we have to gather together as your called out ones. Father, your elect, your chosen ones. Father, whom you have placed this living, this lively hope in us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, that you have reserved in heaven for us. Thank you that we get to spend time here this morning rejoicing in that reality, rejoicing in that truth, praising your name, singing songs of gratefulness, thankfulness, adoration, songs of reflection. Father, because we long for that heavenly home. We long to see you face to face. We long to worship you with all the saints of God, with all the chosen of God, Father. And we, we just know that today is just a foretaste of that. Father, as we wait, we pray that you will continue to teach us from your word that we may glorify you in all things. Father, I pray that your spirit would be here now among us. Open up our eyes to behold these wonderful truths in your word. Father, give us a spirit of understanding and a willingness, Father, to submit ourselves to what your word says. I ask that you will be with me. Give me the words to speak. Give me the spirit into which to speak them. And may all things point to you. 
I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Submission to God. Peter is kind of moving in our text to begin to talk a lot about submission, submitting to God. And it first begins with a submission in your own heart. Before you can submit in these other areas that he begins to talk about, submit, submitting to every ordinance of God, every authority of God he has placed in your life. Masters submitting, I mean uh, servants submitting to their masters, a wife submitting to her husband, a husband submitting to the lordship of Christ, the leadership of Christ in his marriage, and children submitting to their parents, and all of us submitting one to another as we submit to Christ. You cannot truly submit in any of these areas if you first do not have a submission to Christ in your own heart. It must first begin within and then it flows out to others. And we struggle with this from time to time and we have to ask God to help us get back to submitting ourselves fully, our hearts fully to him and being serious about this so that we can faithfully submit to him in all areas of life. If you're struggling with submission in some area, whether it be in marriage or as a child or as a leader, as an employee, maybe you're struggling with submission in some way in, in the area of your life. It's probably because you haven't fully submitted your heart to the Lord. And so I think that Peter gets to the heart of the matter here in our text today, and this will flow out into every area of our life. And so he begins to talk about submitting to the Lordship of Christ He's been talking to them about their position or who they are in Christ, who their identity is in Christ. And part of our identity is that we are people who submit to King Jesus as our Lord. He is the ruler of our life. He is the director of our life. He is the one that we look to for decisions that we make. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Lord and Peter says, we need to submit to him. And so what does it look like in the life of a believer? It looks like first submitting your own heart to Christ daily. And then it looks like submitting to all authority. And then it looks like submitting as husband and wife, as child, as someone who's single, submitting your life to Christ in the way that you work, in the way that you live. And this was a important lesson that Peter, the writer of this epistle through the Holy Spirit, had to learn. Peter had to learn submission to the Lordship of Christ, submission to the will of God. You remember, we went through it. When Jesus said, Peter, I'm not going to set up an earthly kingdom here. We're not going to overtake the, the Romans in power and have everybody be subject unto us. I have come and I have set up a spiritual kingdom and it's built upon me, the foundation stone, and it's going to be built upon the apostles and the doctrine that stems from the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Old Testament. But this will be a spiritual kingdom. And he said, in order for this to happen, I am going to have to suffer, to be killed, to die on a bloody cross, but I will rise again from the dead. Remember what Peter's response to that was. No. He told Jesus Christ, no. 
Don't let this happen. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. He was not submitted to the Father's will. He had a different plan. He thought that the Father's will was different than this will that Jesus was saying. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He he told Peter that. He rebuked Peter because Peter rebuked him. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you are savoring not the things that come from God, but the things that come from man. You're thinking about this with earthly earthly wisdom, and you're thinking about it in earthly terms, but not spiritual terms. So this is a lesson that Peter learned personally, and it was painful. And therefore, his heart as a pastor, his heart as an encourager to you, is that you will learn the lesson that he had to learn, that we need to be willing to submit our hearts to the Lordship of Christ, and then we will be willing to submit in every area that he has called us to, to walk according to his will. So in our text this morning, we will look at five realities that are important to remember in our submitting our own hearts to Jesus Christ. Five realities that we need to remember in our submitting our own hearts to Jesus as Lord. And here's our purpose for this text. You will submit your heart to Jesus Christ by fighting against deceitful sin and living honestly before God and others through Christ for the glory of God. Let me say it again. You will submit your heart to Jesus by fighting against sin, deceitful sin, and living honestly before God and others through Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's what it says in our text. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And we learned an important lesson from Peter here that we learned also from Paul in his letters. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday in the men's meeting, that When you're going to plead with someone to submit to authority, you first need to tell them some positive and remind them of some wonderful things that have been done for them. And so that's what Peter does, and it's a great example to us as well. Before getting into this plea that he has for them, he says, he starts it out this way. Number one, dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. So reality number one, you are loved. You are loved. That's important for us to understand, and it's important for us to be reminded, why do we submit to Jesus as king? Because he loves us. He has loved us with an everlasting love. Because God the Father has loved us with an everlasting love. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that you might have eternal life. You are loved, dearly beloved. You are dearly loved. It's not just that you're loved, kind of, by God. You are dearly Loved. You are deeply loved. You are affectionately loved by God. He loves you and he has shown you this love. 
This is God's agape love. It is his esteem. It is his special love. It means favorite. God loves you as his favorite. You are his favorite children. You are dearly loved. And this is because not anything in you. Not because you are special. But you are dearly beloved because you are in the beloved. You know, it says of Christ that he is the beloved. That we are in the beloved. And so if you are in Christ, Peter is saying, if you are in Christ, which he has talked about this whole letter so far, how our identity is that we are in Christ and all the blessings of that. He says, if you are in Christ, then you are dearly loved of God the Father because he dearly loves his Son. And if you are in his Son, then he loves you with the same love. We can't fathom that, but it's what Scripture teaches. We are loved with the same love that the Trinity has for one another. And that's why he has chosen us. That's why he has predestinated us to adoption. All the wonderful blessings that we see in the scriptures. So this is because you are in Christ, in the beloved, you are in him, and so you are dearly beloved. And isn't this important when we think about submission? It is hard to submit to someone who is not loving first. I mean, think if God was not a God of love. Think if God was only a God who was holy. Think if God was only a God who was separate. Think of God who was only a God of justice. And he told you to submit to him. You still should do it. You still would be required to do it. But doesn't it mean much more to know that this one who says, you should submit to me, submit your heart to me, it doesn't it mean much more that he says first that you're loved and I love you and you're special to me. I want to submit to one like that. It shouldn't be hard. We're not dragged around kicking and screaming saying I have to submit to God. Only thing we're fighting against is the flesh. But the spirit is willing, right? The spirit is willing and says I want to submit. I want to surrender all to Christ. And we hear it in our singing and in our conversation. We're loved by him and we want to submit. And so he, said, he reminds them first that they're dearly loved. And that's why he can plead with them to fight against sin so that they can be submitted to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, we're familiar with that. But it says, according as God the Father has chosen us, elected us, in Christ Jesus, before the world began. God loved you before the world was ever made. He loved you in Christ. He loved you before the world began. He chose you. And it, said, it goes on to say that he predestinated you to adoption. That means he predetermined before the world ever began, even despite your sinful nature, which you would be born with. He says, I'm going to choose you. I love you. And I'm going to choose you. To adopt you into my family, into the Trinity, into the family of God. Having been predestinated according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, only possible by Jesus Christ. But in that whole thing, it says, it ends verse 4 saying, in what? Love. 
in love. He chose us in love, and in love he predestinated us to be adopted as the children of God. So we are dearly beloved, therefore we're chosen, therefore we're set apart, therefore we're adopted into the family of God. Adoption is a special kind of love. There's the love that comes from your own natural-born children and children to their natural-born parents. But there is a special love about adoption because adoption is you are choosing someone who wasn't born into your family, but you are choosing someone who was outside of your family, and you're saying that you're going to love them and give them a special place in your family as if they were born into your family. You know, you just can't help who you're born with. <laughs> you got to love them because that came from your loins. They're yours. You produce that. But when you adopt someone, you're saying, I didn't produce that. Someone else did. But I'm going to choose to love that. I'm going to choose to care for that. I'm going to choose to provide for that. I'm going to choose that they are just as much a part of our family as our natural born children. That's a special kind of love. And it comes from the adopting love of God the Father, God the Son, in adopting his elect children into his family. So I tell you, I know it's difficult. I know there are some things that are difficult. But if you're one who's been adopted into their family, they have shown you a special kind of love. And you should be willing. You should delight. You should joy in submitting to them in that love. Don't resist it. Because we shouldn't resist the special adopting love of our Father. So if he calls us to submission, we should be willing to say, it's my heart's desire. It's my heart's desire. And I'm going to do everything that I, that I can through your spirit to do that. So number one, you are loved. And Peter goes on to use this word. We'll see it again and again, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But he loves the word beloved. He reminds them time and time again, you are dearly beloved. You are the beloved. You are special. You are separate. You are different than the world. So number one, Reality, if we're going to submit to Christ and our hearts to Christ, is we must remember that we are loved. Number two, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, we'll get into that, as strangers and pilgrims. He reminds them again, not only are they loved by God the Father, not only are they special and have been chosen and have been adopted into the family of God, but he also reminds them, number two, reality, is that you are not of this world. You are not of this world. You are strangers and pilgrims. You have a king who is a, he's not in the earth. He's in heaven. You are strangers and pilgrims. We know that this is something that we have looked at already. Before I go to that point, though, I did have an illustration I wanted to share with you about the importance of, of love and being loved of God. Hudson Taylor was examining some young people who had volunteered for the mission field. He wanted to ascertain their qualifications for the arduous life toward which they were looking. And why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary, he asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ, not having even heard the one name whereby the lost may be saved. And others gave various answers. Then Hudson Taylor said, All of these motives, however good, will fall you, or fail you, sorry, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possibly death. There is but one motive which will sustain you in trial and testing, namely, for the love of Christ constraineth me. So this is how important it is that you're loved, is because when you're called to submit to him and you're called to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, to do battle and to live honestly before God and before men, that's hard. Trials and tribulations and testings are coming. And if you don't first have this motivation that the love of Christ constrains you, then you might falter. So I wanted to say that before we move on. But now we are discussing strangers and pilgrims. Remember, he started out in chapter 1, verse 1, with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he reminded them from the very beginning, you are strangers. You are elect strangers. You are not of this world. You have been chosen for another world. And he will continue to talk about this. He talked about it in verse 17 of chapter 1. He talked about their sojourning here. They are like pilgrims and strangers that have come from another country and are dwelling here temporarily. But one day they will be going back to their home country. If you are going to submit to Christ's kingdom, you must not have your allegiance to the kingdom of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven and not on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we'll look at this a little bit more later. But this is a reality that the Old Testament saints lived in and understood and submitted to. In Hebrews chapter 11, in talking about those who had faith, it says this. Verse 13, these all died in faith. They believed, they trusted, they had submitted to God, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed. They confessed it. They owned up to this, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They identified that this world was not their home. It tells us later that they looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. And that was not of the earth. David acknowledged this in his wonderful prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And it is a beautiful prayer about the sovereignty of God. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and starting in verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. 
both riches and honor come of thee, and you reign over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, O God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. David understood it. He wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He was used by the Lord to help his son build a temple for the Lord. But he said, you know, even this beautiful temple that we built unto the Lord, this is not it. This is not the end all be all. We are strangers and pilgrims here and our days are as a passing shadow and we long for a heavenly home, an eternal home, one that doesn't pass away. Understanding your citizenship is in heaven and that you're a stranger and pilgrim here below will actually help you to submit better to the authority that God has placed in your life, as Peter goes later to say. So understanding your citizenship in heaven will lead you to living your life on earth in a heavenly manner. Those who are the most heavenly minded do the most earthly good. Those who are the most heavenly minded are those that do the most earthly good. And I hope that you believe that. I hope that you understand that you are a stranger and a pilgrim here. That as Paul, as Peter said in, in chapter 1, that you have an inheritance in heaven that has been reserved for you, that God is keeping you for, and that it will never fade away and it will never corrupt. And that is what we are longing for. A wonderful illustration to kind of bring this home is uh, a refugee from one of the um, camps that Hitler established in Europe tells of his, uh, a refugee tells of his boyhood when so many people were talking about America and, and escaping to America and the freedom that he felt that all the family knew this country well. So settled was this knowledge and love of the land he had not yet seen that his mother said to him, uh, I'm sorry, hold on. So settled was this knowledge and love of the land, he had not yet seen that his mother said to him when he was leaving for America, you are going home and I am staying in a foreign land. You are going home and I am staying in a foreign land. The Christian who realizes the tyranny of life in this world is glad to escape to the land that is fairer than day. And when our loved ones go before, we are forced to say with tears that they, uh, that with tears that are for ourselves, you are going home and I am staying in a foreign land. And so this earth is not our home. And we need to understand that if we're going to truly be able to submit our hearts to Christ and go on to do what he says. So number one reality, we need to understand that we're loved by God the Father. Number two reality, we need to understand that this world is not our home. Now, what does he beseech them about? I beseech you, dearly beloved, as strangers and pilgrims, 
to what? To abstain from fleshly lusts which war against us all. Here's what he was getting to. He says, remember your love, remember your strangers and pilgrims, but reality number three, you are in a daily battle for your soul. You're in a daily battle for your heart. Remember your love, remember your strangers and pilgrims, but remember this, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. He is a roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to make shipwreck of your faith. He wants to destroy your testimony in your community and in the church. He wants to destroy the effectiveness and witness of your family and of this church and of Christians in the world. And and every day that we wake up, we are in a battle against that. It's a battle for your heart. Now we know by what he's already said that the war against sin and the war against death and the war against all this has been won by Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has abolished death and he has given us life through the gospel. We know that. The war is won. But we got to do battle every single day. And that's why he uses these terms. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And he is begging. He is pleading. He is inviting. I beseech you. Paul liked to do this too, right? Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, remembering that it is because God's mercy that we're not consumed. It's by God's mercy that we have been saved. It's by God's mercy that he's given us his spirit so that we can present our bodies a living sacrifice. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the same things he's saying here today. Present your body as a living sacrifice by abstaining from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He would also say in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A good pastor, a good brother, he will beseech you, he will beg you, he will implore you, he will come alongside you and invite you to fight this fight against sin. It is not a faithful brother or sister. It is not a faithful pastor who will let you live in your sin or who will accept your sin. And that's what he's doing here. I beg you, I invite you, I implore you, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. The Holy Spirit of Christ is here in the room this morning and he is pleading with you, abstain from the fleshly lusts which are warring against your soul today. We'll get into what these are. But you need to realize how serious this battle is. You are in a battle. You are in a daily battle for submission to Christ in your life. Abstain, this word abstain is strong. It's a strong word. It's a fighting word. It means to hold oneself off. It means to refrain. You must refrain the fleshly lusts which are warring against your soul daily. 
And we do this through the Spirit of God using the Word of God. Abstain from fleshly lust. Peter will use this again if you go over into chapter 4, the same idea. And we'll look at this more in depth when we get there. But he says this, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And that's what we're talking about in submission. Are you submitting to the lust of your flesh? Or are you going to submit to the will of God? That is the question that is before you this morning. Who are you submitting to? What are you going to submit to? Jesus said this, and he's still saying it here this morning. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 34. And take heed to yourselves. Take heed to your heart. Take heed to your soul. It is more valuable than all the things that your flesh desires. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Jesus in love is speaking to you this morning. Saying, submit to me, submit your heart to me. Don't submit to the desires of the flesh, the ungodly desires of the flesh, which war against your soul, that darken your soul, that wound your heart and soul, that make you ineffective, ineffective in ministry and service to Christ. You're like a, a warrior who is going out to battle, but he has no shield. He has no weapon. He's just going out there and he's just wandering aimlessly in the battle. What do you think is going to happen to that warrior? He's going to be wounded or struck down. He already said in verse 1, Lay aside all malice, all anger, all hypocrisy, and all evil speakings. This is what he's saying. These are the fleshly lusts which were to abstain, which were to refrain from. Why? Because they make us ineffective. In our submitting to God and his will in our life. And we don't glorify God when we exhibit these characteristics. And we give in to these sinful desires of the flesh. Just to name a few that he did there in verse 1. Instead, we should desire the word. Desire the word. Feed your heart and mind with the word. Submit to the word. And then you'll be a, an effective soldier of Jesus Christ. Take heed to yourselves lest at any time your heart be overcharged with sin. Paul said in Romans 8, we have to do battle against the flesh. He said, mortify, mortify, mortify the deeds of the flesh. That means to put to death. That means to kill it. That means to use a weapon to slay it. Mortify the deeds of the flesh and you will live. You will live. How do you do it? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. You can't do this in your flesh. You will fail every time. I fail every time when I try to do this in my flesh. And I remind myself, why am I trying to do it in my own strength? Why am I trying to do it in my own flesh? He has given me the Spirit. It's the only way that we can overcome these strong 
desires. What are these fleshly lusts? Well, fleshly means bodily, carnal, or temporal. Lust, we know, means a desire, a craving. But in this context and in this sense, it is an ungodly desire, an ungodly craving. It is to desire that which is forbidden by God, which God says is wrong, which God says is evil, which God says is not for your good. It's not just sexual sins. It's the sins that he's already listed in chapter 2, verse 1. That's some of them. Pride, anger, maliciousness, envying, covetousness, evil speaking, hypocrisy. To abstain from fleshly lust is to abstain to abstain from the desires of this world. All you got to do is just look at what are the desires of this world? What is the world coveting after? That's what you need to abstain from. That's what you need to refrain from. Whatever the world is desiring and coveting after, you need to go after something else. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God so you can be submitted to him. And show that submission. So it is an abstaining from the desires of the world. But also keeping with the one from whom we receive our marching orders. Jesus has given us his marching orders. We say we're not going to listen to other commanders. We're not going to listen to other generals. We're going to listen to our, the captain of our salvation. The captain of our soul. Who says take up your cross daily and follow me. Or you're not worthy to be my disciple. And if any man love anything else more than he loves me, he's not worthy to be my disciple. You've got to submit to the king. This is military language. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This, this, Peter, uh, Peter's not saying that fleshly lust, evil desires, evil, evil uh, covetousness, he's not just saying that they merely present uh, stumbling blocks or that they, they, they merely present a, a rival interest to you Peter says what? Why do we have to abstain from these ungodly desires? Because they war against your soul they're doing battle against your soul they want to take your soul and your heart away from God, away from the truth they want to darken your heart darken your soul they want to ruin your life. They want to bring pain and destruction and misery. All disguised as angels of light. They are at war with our soul. And so this is military language. You, you have a military host who is against you. And fighting against you every single day. And you've got to contend with it. You've got to fight with it. The soul means that which is immaterial. That is who you are. It is not your body. It is not what you see. It is what you can't see. It is your heart. It is your affections. It is your desire. It is your will. And so fleshly lusts are in a battle against the spirit 
within you and against your soul. Paul speaks of this war in many places in his letters also. We know he talks about it in Romans chapter 7. He says that this war is so intense that he says that when I'm listening to the flesh, he says, I cannot do the things that I want to do. And I do the things that I don't want to do. Have you ever experienced that? But when he listens to the Spirit, when he follows the Spirit, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's who, who are you listening to? Who are you submitting to? And so that's why he said you've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh if you're going to live. And he would say in Galatians chapter 5, after giving us a broader description of these ungodly lusts, the fruits, the fruits of the flesh that he lists there in Galatians 5, starting in 16, he goes on down and says in verse 24, that they which are of the Spirit do crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. That sounds like pretty intense language, doesn't it? Does it, sound, does it sound like to you that you should just be flirting around with sin? That you should be seeing how close to the edge of the cliff that you should get? No, it says they that are of the Spirit, they crucify, they mortify, they put to death the deeds of the flesh. They submit to Jesus as King and they say, we will not even go around or close to sin. As David said, or as Solomon said, you will not even go to the way. Around. You will go around. You will not pass by. You will go all the way around immorality because you don't want to be tainted by it. James says that wars and fightings, they come from the war within even of our own lust. James 4, 1. And so it is a war. This is the war. And this is why we have to abstain from these fleshy lusts. Because here it is. This is what our, the flesh is trying to do. It's trying to get you to only see yourself. Only self. And no one else. And so how do you know someone who's not submitted to Christ? You see it in their life by how selfish that they are. They talk about themselves. They talk about what they want. They talk about their goals. They talk about their dreams and aspirations. But they care truly nothing about anyone else. They don't serve anyone else. Everyone else serves them. And so they, they have not submitted to Christ and serving him and his people. They are committed to serving themselves. That is the war that rages against you. Here's an analogy. One day a certain old miserable rich man visited a rabbi who took him by the hand and led him to a window and he said look out there he said and the rich man looked out into the street the rabbi said what do you see the miserable rich man said I see men and women and little children again the rabbi took him by the hand and led him to a mirror and he said, what do you see? And he said, I see myself. 
Then the rabbi said, Behold, in the window there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with silver. And therefore you only see yourself and not others. You see his riches and his covetousness that came from that. His love of money and everything that he thought that it would bring him. And the selfishness that it had, that it had brought to him. He could not see others. He was like a man standing in front of a mirror, only seeing himself. Pretty powerful analogy. So this is why we have to abstain. This is why we have to put to death sin in our heart because it gets our eyes off of truth. It gets our eyes off of Christ and his kingdom. It gets our eyes off of our true reality and it corrupts and distorts everything to becomes all about ourselves and not about submitting to Christ and serving others. And why is this so important? Because your soul and your heart is infinitely more valuable than all the earthly treasures of this world. Jesus said this. He said, what would it profit a man or a woman if they gained the whole world Everything that they ever desired, everything that they ever sought after, and lost their own soul. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we must realize that our soul and our heart is of infinite value, and that's why we're willing to fight to submit our heart. To Christ, take up our cross daily. So this leads into our fourth reality. Reality number four. It matters how you live. It matters how you live. You're going to show your heart is submitted to Christ. First by, you're going to be daily fighting against sin. Abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. But secondly, how you live before others. Which is before God, because God sees all, and God is everywhere. To the glory of God the Father. He says, having, right, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. It's interesting that the word having is the word echo. You are to echo Submission in your heart and have this pattern go out into the way that you live before unbelievers. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. We know conversation means not just what we say, but it means our behavior. It means our pattern. It means our manner of life. It means our conduct. Peter uses this word a lot in First Peter and in Second Peter. Remember, he used it in chapter 1, a hope that leads to holiness. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy 
in all manner of conversation. You're to be holy in your whole being and in every area of your life. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. He'll use it again in chapter 3. When he's talking about wife, a wife being in submission to her husband. Likewise, likewise, ye wife, wives, be in submission to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be with the word, or I'm sorry, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. The way that the wife is living. Her manner, her conduct, her appearance. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And then in 2 Peter, as he brings that epistle to a close, he says in verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Our citizenship's in heaven. This earth is not our home. One day it's going to be destroyed. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Holy conversation. Holy way of living. Holy conduct. A holy pattern. And so conversation can be used in a negative sense. Peter talks about our former conversation in Ephesians chapter 2. You once were this way. This once was your conversation. We all had our conversation in times past according to the lust of our flesh. But God who is rich in mercy, he saved us and gave us a new conversation. One that he talks about in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. Isn't that convicting? You look at your life. Is there something in your life that's not according to the gospel? You need to get rid of it. Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of your perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And then, I like what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. When he's encouraging and challenging Timothy as a young man and as a minister. He says, let no man despise your youth. But you be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That, brothers and sisters... Is how we're to live a life submitted to God. That, that's it right there. That's a description of it. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's what it means to be submitted to Christ. So what, what one word does Peter use to describe this way of life? He says honest. 
honest. Let no man, I'm sorry, back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what describes your pattern or your conduct in your life? It should be that you are an honest person, that you are a real person, that you are a truthful person, that you are without deceit and without hypocrisy. This is a person who is submitted to Christ. And this is a common theme throughout Peter's epistles and also Paul's epistles and and James as well. We are to be honest. We are to be truthful. We are to be without guile. We are, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Be true. Be truthful. Be honest. Be sincere. This is the greatest testimony that you and I can have to unbelievers as we're showing them what submission to God looks like. It's that we are true and we are honest in everything that we say, in everything that we do. Here's an example. A young man employed by our Sunday school board told the following searching story. He was invited at the last minute to preach at a church in Nashville. On sudden impulse, impulse, he used as his text, thou shalt not steal. The next morning, he stepped on the bus and handed the driver a dollar bill. The driver handed him back his change. He stood in the rear of the bus and counted the change. There was a dime too much. His first thought was, the bus company will never miss this dime. Then quickly came to the realization that he could not keep the money that did not belong to him. He made his way to the front and said to the driver, you gave me too much change. Imagine his surprise when the driver replied, yes, a dime too much. I gave it to you purposefully. You see, I heard your sermon yesterday, and I watched in my mirror as you counted your change. Had you kept the dime, I would never again have any confidence in your preaching. What a tragedy if he had done the wrong thing. Remember our influence. Remember our influence. People will see us. They see what we're saying. They see what we're doing. They see if it's real. Is what you say you believe and what you do when you come to church. It is the same. Is it the same in your employment? Is it the same in your neighborhood? Is it the same in your home? That's what he's saying. If you're submitted to Christ, you'll see it in your life by the way that you live. And this will give glory to God because this is your whole purpose in him calling you and adopting you into his family and giving you his spirit and calling you to submit to him is so that you will glorify him, not yourself. So reality number five, as we close, your purpose in submitting your heart to Christ is for the glory of God. It's not for your own glory. It's for your joy, but it's for his glory. He says, even when others speak evil against you. You know, if your concern is what people say about you or what people think about you or about how they react, you will not submit to Christ fully. But if you care about what he thinks about you, what he sees about you, and about how they glorify him, even by speaking evil against you, then you will fully submit to him. Jesus said that we should 
be happy. We should consider it a blessing. When people revile us and speak all evil against us falsely for his name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. And so persecuted they the Lord Jesus Christ who was perfect and who was holy and was out spot and without blemish. They called him a liar. They called him a blasphemer. They called him filled with demons. They called him a drinker of wine, a drunk. They called him so many names. He was none of them. And so we also have to be willing in our submission to suffer for Christ, for his name's sake. They speak against you evil, falsely, but it will lead to glorifying God on the day of visitation. So are people speaking evil of you now? This is how they treated Jesus. And Jesus said to the disciples, Do not be surprised. Do not be alarmed when they come after you, when they kill you, when they put you into prison. Because they did the same thing to me. And because they've done it to me, they'll do it to you. Now you might not be put in prison. You might not be put to death. But in our culture in which we live in, if you are living a life submitted to Christ and a heart submitted to Christ, you are going to be reviled, you are going to be hated, and you are going to be spoken evil, evilly against. Evil is going to be spoken against you. You're going to be called many names. But a heart that's submitted to Christ doesn't care about that one bit. Glorify God if someone calls you a name because you serve him faithfully. This, again, is one of our greatest testimonies that we can give in showing others that we're submitted to Christ is by the way that we respond when others speak evil against us or treat us harshly or persecute us. How we respond shows whether or not we are truly submitted to the king. And this is what's happening in America. There is a divide that's happening in America because there are those who profess to, to follow Christ, profess to love Christ, but persecution is coming against Christians. So are they going to stand for the glory of God or are they going to stray because really the glory is about them? We're seeing it. Churches are, are being divided because hearts are not truly submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So you will submit your heart to Jesus by fighting against sin, by fighting against the deceitful sin in your heart. And by living honestly before God, through Jesus Christ, for the glory of God. I plead with you today, as Peter did, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Draw nigh to God. Submit to God. And the promise is, brothers and sisters, the devil will flee from you. He has no power over Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you can't overcome sin, if you can't overcome the devil, it's because you're not born again. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Look to Jesus because Jesus submitted completely to the Father's will. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to die. He was willing to suffer shame and rejection because he was submitted to the Father's will. 
He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, even, even knowing the pain, even knowing the suffering, even knowing the rejection. Why? Because he had submitted to the Father's will. He had submitted his heart. And nothing could sway him. And as Peter goes on to talk about how we are to submit to every ordinance, we're to submit to governmental authorities, we're to submit to our parents, we're to submit to our employers, he begins with this. I beseech you, remember you're loved. Remember you're strangers and pilgrims. Remember this world is not your home. But remember, you've got a daily fight against sin in your heart. You've got to trust Christ daily. You've got to put sin to death. And you've got to be honest in the way that you live so that you may glorify God. So that's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray.